Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the recent interviews we've had on JM and the AM. Dr. Jackie Benayoun was uh, with us from JOMA to discuss a very important initiative and to remind everybody about the COVID-19 hotline provided by JOMA. Dr. Jackie Benayoun, a recent guest on JM the AM. Here she is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, our friends at JOMA have been at the forefront of a plenty when it comes to health in our community. Uh, but n- no more did we feel it than during this um, last 18 months when they were really in the lead. I actually said this to somebody in a state position in New York State, the lead that JOMA has uh, taken in informing our community about uh, uh, restrictions, guidelines, advice regarding COVID-19, and of course uh, information about the COVID-19 vaccine, which we still encourage people to get. Uh, JOMA, by the way, has a hotline uh, that's now answering all your questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. It's 843-VAX-INFO. 843-VAX-INFO. You could actually get all your COVID-19 questions answered live by a volunteer. As we've said, JOMA is doing a whole bunch of amazing things for our community. And um, one of them is their teen health initiative. And with us live via telephone is is Dr. Jackie Benayoun. Um, Dr. Benayoun is from Queens, New York, received a bachelor's in biochem at Yeshiva University, worked as a clinical research coordinator in the oncology department at Columbia University Medical Center. In 2021, she graduated from SUNY Downstate College of Medicine with a distinction in research and an award for a contribution in the medical education pathway. She's passionate about community advocacy and inspiring the next generation of female physicians. She feels very fortunate to have collaborated in many capacities with JOMA and is currently co-chair of the new Teen Health Committee. She is a first-year pediatrics resident at Westchester Medical Center. A pleasure, uh, Dr. Benayoun, to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning. Nice to talk to you, too. How is the residency going at the Westchester Medical Center? Um, it's good. We're very, very busy. Um, still busy post-COVID. Our numbers are going up every day. Sorry, I have a bit of a head cold. But, um, you know, it's, it's busy. <laughs> but we our numbers actually increased after COVID and significantly. It, it, meaning, so meaning, meaning, number, meaning numbers of cases of COVID or number of patients <laughs> that you're servicing? <laughs> Number of patients that we're servicing, um, a lot of pediatric offices are still hesitant to see, you know, sick children in case they have COVID. So we still pretty much swab almost everyone that comes in through the emergency room. Not that everyone, most, most kids don't test positive for COVID, but, you know, we are still encouraging the older kids, the teenagers um, to get vaccinated wow. when they can. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And I know that the Joma and obviously I'm sure you're, you as well endorse um, uh, the practice of vaccination, certainly in this case, in the case of COVID-19. And as I said earlier, everybody in the audience, remember, you can always get more information about the vaccine and your questions about the vaccine by contacting the JOMA hotline at 843-VAX-INFO, 843-V-A-X-I-N-F-O. Uh, well, I mean, you're, it's, uh, it's obvious from the introduction, as we said, that you're quite concerned about uh, education um, uh, in our community on issues that are... Uh, uh, important about health. Tell us about this teen health initiative. When did it begin and what's its purpose? Yeah, so we've been talking about this for several, several months. Um, we had a women's health initiative, which was really successful at running webinars for um, the Jewish community free of charge on different topics um, concerning, you know, women's health that 
some women might not have necessarily felt comfortable asking their doctor about or wanted just familiar from female physicians from the community to talk to them about these topics. We had some of our mental health professionals involved, everything from, you know, uh, miscarriage to just regular pregnancy and what to expect. Um, you know, we partnered with a lot of our great partner organizations like JScreen, Sean Task Force, um, as well to kind of, you know, spread the word and give their, their pitch in terms of their organization and how they could also further collaborate. Um, and we realized that uh, we, we didn't want to just focus on, um, you know, women that were in their 20s, 30s, 40s, but why not start with younger women that were 10, 11, 12, 13, that were kind of undergoing different changes in their body and just, you know, working not just with them, but really with their parents and their educators and other health care professionals that, um, you know, care for them to have to empower them and teach them how to better speak to their their teenage daughters. So we had our pilot webinar just just the other day, just on Sunday. Um, it was our part one, and we're going to have our part two the following Sunday, which will now directly address the girls. So it's it's a similar talk pretty much that we gave to parents. In order to register for the part two, you have to have been registered for part one with parents. But now this is for teenagers, and, you know, if, if one of their family, older family members wants to attend with them, you know, put it on Zoom, kind of listen in. Um, but that's really, you know, the first step. And we're working on creating animations with uh, an organization in Israel called Koshen, which is already doing this type of work in Israel to kind of translate some of their videos. And, and then, uh, you know, we also have a, a not Jewish Orthodox um, similar organization that we've been in talks with to, to do the same kind of thing, just these five-minute clips on, again, normal changes in, in body as um, girls develop, and just to give them that information that sometimes it's not as easy to get at home or at school just because, you know, to hear it from a medical professional in the right terms and in a way that's palatable for you know, the firm audience, I think, is, is a huge step. Um, and it's something that doesn't really exist right now. The, and, you know, the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. From, your, from, from your perspective, was the first webinar well attended? Yeah, we definitely, we had uh, 150 people wow, live. And, nice. you know, w this is something that we wanted to start with, uh, you know, small, because we, we, uh, we definitely want to build on it. But, we uh, we hope that as the momentum gains, we're going to get gain more and more audience members. And um, another aspect is also to get pamphlets for doctors' offices um, and to get more educators involved. Um, and again, this is not meant for any specific segments of the from community. It's no matter if you're, you know, yeshivish or modern orthodox. We really want. You want to create it in a tone that's, um, that works for every segment of the Ephraim community. Yeah, I think Joma in general has made an effort to keep everybody under the same umbrella, which is not easy these days, but we've given them credit <laughs> over, over the last few months for doing just that. Dr. Jackie Benayoun right. is with us live via telephone, co-chairs the uh, Teen Health Initiative uh, for Joma. And I'm assuming that these webinars and online five-minute segments, and it's amazing, we'll talk in a minute, about the five-minute segments, but I'm assuming all this will lead to some in-person events as well down the road if necessary, or if you guys that, feel feel that it's only going to, you know, enhance the whole experience for the young no, ladies. No, that is definitely, definitely a goal, of course, um, and even to get the educators in person. You know, I think what's nice about webinars, besides for COVID and 
keeping everyone safe is that it allows a level of anonymity so that no one feels uncomfortable. No one, you know, we don't, maybe, maybe we have a sense of where people are attending from, but we don't specifically care to know people's names or email addresses. Um, we just want to get as many people involved as possible, but this way people feel comfortable that they're attending this on their own time. Um, but definitely, I'm sorry, an in-person event is, is in the works in the near future. And for educators, like I said, for parents, yeah. for healthcare professionals, that's, that's who we want to help help it's, their children. It's funny about the whole five-minute thing because as, as kids get information about everything nowadays, as everything, as all information about everything is at everyone's fingertips, which is a completely new thing for some of us, relatively speaking, um, uh, we want to stay ahead of the curve. We want to, we want to ahead of the curve rather. We want to make sure uh, that we're giving and we meaning our community leaders in the area of health, obviously I'm not talking about myself, that we give uh, right. accurate information, important information, and really helpful information uh, to, the, to those young people who could be getting their information, frankly, from anywhere. And, and the second stage is the five minute clips. I am, I am sure that in your um, academic career, uh, you had to sit through classes that were longer than five minutes in order to get to where you definitely, got to. <laughs> but, definitely. But I will tell you that even in medical school nowadays, animated content goes a long way wow. to help you memorize large volumes of information. So that's actually partially why this idea of creating animated content um, really came to mind and why, you know, we found so many different medical animators um, and groups that could work with us. And interestingly, I attended a conference online about a year ago, a medical education conference, and I really loved one of the presentations. The woman who presented was uh, presenting from Tel Aviv, and I reached out to her, and she told me that she uses an Israeli company. And lo and behold, some of these, um, you know, non-Jewish companies that we've been reaching out to also use Israeli animators. So, you know, it's kind of coming full circle in a way that we're able to to use a, a Jewish-made technology to promote our goal of helping Jewish people. I'm assuming there's information about the Teen Health Initiative on the JOMA website. Everybody can go to JOMA.org, J-O-W-M-A.org. That's J-O-W-M-A.org. And Dr. Benayoun, before we let you go, we should say a word about the COVID-19 hotline. And I'm, I'm, I'm lauding, and as I said earlier on the air, I actually said to a member of government uh, this week that uh, JOMA has been at the forefront of educating our community and encouraging uh, the vaccinations, we know how important that is, especially as we get to the point where many, many people are vaccinated, but there's a group that hesitates to do so. Um, it, the, the, this hotline, 843-VAX-INFO, uh, can only help, and people, I'm sure you will say, uh, should feel comfortable calling and discussing anything about the vaccine with your representatives. Definitely. I actually volunteered for the hotline. We have great hours. We, we're on Mote Shabbos. We're on Sunday, month, throughout the week, pretty much. Um, you know, and we have all types of questions. There was a specific question I answered from a woman who was expecting and she wasn't able to get a hold of her doctor. So we were able to give her, you know, uh, just reassure her that the vaccine was safe in pregnancy and that helped solidify her decision. Um, at the end of the day, we can give personalized medical advice uh, for people that are not our patients. Right. But we can definitely guide them in terms of what, um, you know, the larger uh, health organizations, the same guidance and, and criteria that are being given, you know, through the CDC and other organizations, we can kind of just direct them to that information. We're also happy to text people, email people. Um, if they provide that us with our, you know, if they provide us with that information, we can give them more more information so they can look, look things up at their leisure. So 
you know, thank God we've been doing uh, a lot of work on this initiative, too. I can only imagine. Joma Hotline, everybody. Have all your COVID-19 questions answered live by a volunteer. 843-VAX-INFO, 843-VAX-INFO. Information about the Teen Health Initiative. You can go to Joma.org, J-O-W-M-A.org. Dr. Jackie Benayoun is uh, co-chair of the Teen Health Initiative for Joma. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. More coming up. It's a Monday at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Dr. Jackie Benayoun. Harav David Stav was with us recently to discuss what eventually would become a bill in the Israeli Knesset about the Kashrus situation in Israel. Harav David Stav, a recent guest on JM the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. JM in the AM on a Monday morning broadcast. In mid-July, Israel's Minister of Religious Affairs proposed a bill that would introduce a reform to the country's Kashrus industry. Why was this necessary? With us live via telephone is the chairman of Tsohar, chief rabbi of the city of Shoham, and as somebody who with Tsohar has emerged as one of the most dominant social forces, paving the way for a more ethical, inclusive, and inspiring approach to Zionist Jewish life in Israel. I refer, of course, to Harav David Stav. Harav Stav, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning to you and to all the audience that are listening to us. I guess the, the, the two first questions for us all the way on the other side of the world is, is the only way to make a change in the Kashrus industry through some type of government bill? That's number one. And why is this change necessary? Well, first of all, we have to understand that uh, there is a huge difference than the Kashrut in Israel and Kashrut, for instance, in the United States of America. In Israel, since we want, and most of the people are buying kosher products, there is a huge interest that uh, everybody that wants to eat kosher will get uh, the quality of Kashrut that he wants to and that he needs to get. Because of that, the government and the Knesset are involved in that, and they established a bill years ago saying that the only one that could use the word kosher is only the supervisors on behalf of the chief rabbinate. Nobody else is allowed, is allowed to use the word kosher. All the badatim that uh, I guess all of your listeners know when they come and they want badat this and badat that, all these are only in addition to the chief rabbinate's uh, a Kashrut supervision, and they could not stand by itself, at least officially by law. Now, the, this situation is not normal, because uh, every Jewish family that uh, wants to eat kosher knows that the word kosher doesn't belong to the government, and could not belong only to somebody that uh, works on behalf of the government. The word Kashrut belongs to every Jewish family that wants to eat kosher. And therefore, um, this situation, A, is not normal. But B, the fact that the law gave the rabbinate the monopoly of providing kashrut caused a lot of problems. I don't want to go into all the problems, but as a matter of fact, the Supreme Court has found in many places, in many places, actually in 95% of the places in Israel, that the supervisors were getting paid by the um, employees, which Moshe Feinstein and others 
believe that it's not proper halachically. Yeah, the employers. It's not proper the, legal. Right, the employers of the proprietorship would pay them, right? Those who right. owned it, the owners would pay them, right? The owners, the businessmen, right. the, the owners of the restaurants, right. instead of belonging to, that's A, the state controller found in his, in his report, and every year he deals with this, that many of the supervisors didn't show up to work. Many of them reported of many hours that do not exist in, uh, in a daytime working, 27 hours a day, etc., etc. Something was very wrong in the system. Right. And we kept on saying that it requires a a competition, b disengaging anything that smells politics. Because most of the supervisors today work on behalf of the politicians that nominated them to be the supervisors. Because right. who gives the kashrut? The head of the religious councils. The heads of the religious councils are no political nominations. Now they appoint to be mashgichim, the supervisors. They appoint their relatives, their party members, etc., etc. And that's not a professional way of running kashrut. So that's why the reform is necessary because the current situation could not continue. A, it's not legal. But the kashrut wasn't kashrut in many of the places. Right. As a matter of fact, I think. 95% of the Haredi people in Israel didn't bring to their homes food that has only kosher uh, certificate uh, with the rabbinic. If you open a bottle of wine, and I guess many of you buy uh, wines of Carmel Mizrahi and other companies from Israel that are brought to America, you will see that every bottle has at least two, three, four, five stamps. Now, all this costs money, and if somebody wants to take two stamps because he has different crowds of customers, that's fine. But why do you force him to take the stamp of the chief rabbinate that and nobody needs it? Because they they have better kashrut uh, supervision on behalf of Badat or other other rabbis that give the kashrut. So what we what we offered, and for years already we were struggling for that, uh, with no connection to any uh, any political situation or circumstances, we are claiming for that for more than five years, that the kashrut should be privatized under the supervision of the chief rabbinate. The rabbinate should supervise that the different corporations that provide kashrut are sticking to the law, are sticking to the halachic laws, to only all kashrut issues that are required to be supervised. But the rabbinate will not be the employee of these people because these people that were employed by them uh, many times did not fit to the right. job. Okay, Rav David Stav is with us. We're talking about the Kashrut reform in Israel. I, I think the it's still confusing, though, why the model that you just that you just uh, asked for that you're hoping for is not the Badat's model. And I'm just using Badat as an example. It's a, I'm not endorsing anybody here. But in other words, if if the if today the Rabbanut and the Badats have that type of relationship where they are sort of under the Rabbanut but, but also doing their own thing. A, a, another Kashrus agency would not be able to do the same thing. In other words, have that, that, that overseeing that you're looking for from the Rabbanut and at the same time be someone. No, that's exactly, what, that's exactly what we want to do. We want, but if that's the case, there is no need for the Rabbanut to intervene. Right. There is only need that the Rabbanut will supervise. Right. Just like... Uh, there is a competition between different, uh, um, um, la, uh, um, I would say, uh, uh, the, right. the, the uh, health 
services in Israel. It used to be uh, all people in Israel were insured only by one by one provider of health services, and this was corrupted, and the, and the, the customers didn't get the right the right service they re, they deserved. Now there is a competition between the different companies, and the the level of the service that the customers get in health, in licensing cars, in everything that is privatized, we know as a fact that once you privatize something and you open it to competition, the customer benefits. In our case, we believe that the same model that works in the States, that there is OU and OK and Star K and Triangle, whatever whatever company, now right. people know to differentiate and people have their prioritizations, there are those yeah. ones that, re, that rely on this cash route and do not rely on the other one and vice versa. Fine. That's, a, that's the character of, uh, that's the nature of the competition. Now, uh, for many of us, and I mentioned earlier when I said that you were going to be coming on the air, I have been concerned about this issue for decades. I, uh, it, it's always interesting to me how the kashrut industry in Israel in some ways is not as reliable as outside of Israel, which is you know something that's in some ways absurd, frankly. Um, but is the only way now to do this, is the only way to make the change that you're looking for to actually do it in some type of legal manner. In other words, in other words, when we read the press release, it said a bill has been introduced. It literally has to go through the government channels for this change to be made. Yes, because the only because the current situation is that the rabbinate has the authority to give kashrut through the law. They don't do it by themselves. It's not because the people want it or do not want it. It's because the law forced the people to use the rabbinate. So now the law is just changing. The same law that gave the authority to the chief rabbinate or to the local rabbinate, now the law will give the authority to all corporations to give kashrut under the supervision of the chief rabbinate. Right. So, so the ones that are associated with the chief rabbinate, they have a, a right to use the word kosher. You or any organization, whether it's Sohar or any other, has no right at the moment to, to actually uh, establish a kashrut organization in Israel. Right. Wow. Right. Wow. That change. is unbelievable. Now it will change, and the word kashrut will come back to whom it belongs to. It belongs to the every Jewish rabbi people. that is entitled yeah. to say kasher. If something is kasher, he will have to stick to standards. He will have to to make sure that there is no corruption, that there will be a very strict supervision on him. But it's not that this word will belong to certain group that belo- that is... <laughs> A political group, and that uh, they care only about um, certain people to appoint them to their jobs, and it will not belong to one group. The word kasher belongs to the Jewish people, belongs to the Torah. Yeah, I was just doesn't gonna, belong right. to one group. I was just going to say it belongs to the Jewish people is right. Um, now, now, in the article that we read, that you wrote, uh, the title is Why Israel's Kashrut Reform Bill Matters for the Diaspora. Now, we're pretty comfortable, as you described and as you and I just discussed, we're pretty comfortable as kosher consumers with the kashrut set up here. Why is this bill in Israel important for Jews outside of Israel? I think it's important because of two major things. A, because today um, many of the, um, of the Americans that want to produce and to sell products to Israel they have to go through a very, very bureaucratic uh, system. And uh, I don't want to say 
something bad about this system, but uh, it's not always the honest, the honest way of, of um, it's not only kashrut, pure kashrut. Right. And from now on, they will be able to get the license to sell products to, to export products to Israel through different uh, corporations of kashrut, and they will not be depending on one man that, by the way, is now indicted to court for corruption. Um, they will, the, the market will open. Once it opens, there will be different corporations that will cooperate with different people in America or other places in the world that want to sell products to Israel. That's A. B, I think many of the Americans don't feel comfortable that there is only one way that uh, represents the, the levels of Kashrut, and they would like to see different types of kashrut. They would like to see transparency, to see that when they come to a restaurant, they know exactly what they get. If it says, uh, <clears throat> but that's what does it mean? If it says, so what does it mean? They want to understand what they buy because they come to, they are strangers, they are foreigners, they don't know what's going on. And they don't know what's not, what's not, and they have no clue because there is no transparency. Now they will, have trans, they will see transparency. Um, and, and it will make the, the entire climate of, of the Kashrut, the approach to Kashrut, something that is not political, something that is not uh, business-wise. It's something that is pure Kashrut. Yeah. I believe that these two issues will influence a lot of the feelings, will change a lot of the emotions towards what's going on in Israel among different societies. And that's why I think it's very important for yeah. the American Jews. Don't worry, I agree with you 100%. So today... I'm just giving an example. Today, if the rabbi of Shoham wanted to put up a kashrut certificate in a local Shoham restaurant, he would not be able to. Today, if, uh, no. Today, if the local rabbi of Shoham wants to give kashrut in Shoham, he's able to do that because ah, that's my city. Got it. But if I'm, I'm a local rabbi and a local rabbi could do it, but if I would want, for instance, a town uh, next to me that has no rabbi, for instance, and wants to use my kashrut services, I'm not allowed to. Um, this will change, for instance. Rav Stav, I, I don't mean to get philosophical, and frankly, you have fought so many battles against corruption and operational failures in Israel that uh, you know the, the fact that you're still fighting the fight is is pretty amazing, and that you're keep keep keeping a positive outlook about this is pretty amazing. But it, it, I, I just have to state so the audience understands: it, it is sad, it is um, it is disappointing that we have gotten to this point in this area in the state of Israel. What on earth is more important? And I know there are more important things, but you understand what I mean. It's the center of life. Is food? Is the center of life? It's our sustenance. What is more important to everybody than than eating and keeping the laws of kashrut and making sure that everything is handled in a proper manner? I know that you want to emphasize the positive, but at, at times we just have to understand and realize that it's a terrible disappointment that we've gotten to this point. That's correct. But first of all, we don't have the privilege to be that right. That's our country. We don't have another country. We're privileged to live in this country. And... I want to add one more thing. Sure. It's true that we have a few, we run a few battles in the past. By the way, we changed the bill of marriage, right. and today the marriage in Israel is open to all to all couples, to all rabbinates. 
Right. And there is a real competition between the rabbinates on the heart of the couples. And right. that's exactly what we wanted. And Baruch Hashem, now we are, hopefully, if the bill, the bill will pass, um, we are in, in the beginning of a new era in the relationship between the Israeli society and the Kashrut. And uh, I believe that in the end of this process, we will find ourselves with much more many people that will eat kosher. You know, when we started our project of, of Kashrut of Tsoa a few years ago, since then we added 250 restaurants that never had Kashrut before. We added them to the people that eat Kashrut, that eat kosher. Millions of people, I believe, will start to eat kosher in Israel versus the situation today that at least half of the restaurants in Tel Aviv don't have Kashrut certificate. I believe that with this change... Many of them, not all of them, but many of them will get kashrut and bezat Hashem. More and more Jewish people will eat kosher, as we hope that more and more Jewish people will get married in a proper way. When do we know about this bill? What's the timetable when this bill will hopefully... I guess that the timetable is this Friday, because the sessions in Knesset will begin, I believe, tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow afternoon, I believe that they will come to an end Friday morning. And you're confident that this will pass, or you're not sure? No, no, no. I'm never confident. I have confidence only in one God and one Hashem. I believe in His presence, and that's the that's about it. I don't, I, I don't, I have no confidence in nothing. I know that this government is not sustainable. I'm not sure that uh, that uh, what is true for this moment will be true tomorrow morning, and will be true in five minutes. You know, it's very shakable situation. I hope and what all what seems on the surface seems to be that it's going to pass, but you know, I'm never, I'm not confident. It, it's, this could be, as we say in America, this could be a real game changer, a real game changer in, in Israel and for the Jewish world. It is. It is a real game changer in the Israeli society and uh, I hope a blessed change to the all consumers of kashrut in Israel and throughout the world. Rev Stav, always an honor to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Shalom, shalom. He is the chief rabbi of the city of Shoham and chairman of Tsohar. Tsohar has emerged as one of the most dominant social forces, paving the way for a more ethical, inclusive, and inspiring approach to Zionist Jewish life in Israel. And it is uh, always an honor to have Rav Stav on our program, Harav David Stav. Friday, he, uh, as of now, Friday is the day we should be paying careful attention to see if this Kashrut reform bill passes in Israel. More coming up. It's a Monday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rav David Stav. Chevy Rosner of JewishNurses.org was with us recently to discuss a conference that's taking place, a very important one. Here's my conversation with Chevy Rosner on a recent edition of JM in the AM. Here she is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. At JM in the AM. Well, the uh, annual conference for Orthodox Jewish nurses under the leadership of Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association is taking place on Thursday November the 11th from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. It's happening uh, at the J Suites Conference Center on Madison Avenue in New York City. They have an, an amazing array of speakers. But I just have to go through, before we introduce our guest, i got to go through the titles, the topics that are being discussed that day that will be addressed by the uh, expert panel uh, or expert uh, list of speakers. Uh, the topics include anti-Semitism in the workplace, 
Crohn's and colitis, drum therapy, HPV vaccine, mechanical ventilation, medical marijuana, and long COVID. I'm going to ask our guest if there's enough time in a full day to go through every one of those topics. Chevy Rosner is the president of the Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association. She is with us live via telephone. A pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much. Is it humanly possible to go through all those topics to the degree that you'd like in only one day? I think each topic deserves its own day, but we'll have to make do. That's true. It's unbelievable. You've gathered an amazing array of speakers. How do you come up with this list, by the way? Because I can only imagine as I'm reading this and thinking, my gosh, I never thought that this is such a an important issue for, for doctors and nurses out there. I, I would imagine there are many others you could have put on this list. Right. So some are just issues of the day, such as COVID, uh, vaccine mandates and boosters. Mechanical ventilation is a huge one. Uh, with COVID, we use a lot of ventilators, obviously, in the hospital, and not every nurse knows how to use it unless they're familiar with it in the ICU setting. Um, but others are just what the nurses request on the previous conference evaluation form, just hot topics, things they really want to learn about. Uh, anti-Semitism can always be discussed. We have nurses and NPs who have issues with job hiring or taking off for Shabbos and Yantif. These things are always coming up. Yeah, well, that, so that some was... of them are just, you know, issues that are always around. Yeah, that was sad to me when I saw that at the top of the list. And, uh, Again, as you just indicated, there's always difficulties in terms of discrimination and people who have uh, problems with um, uh, you know work situations, etc. But uh, I'm just wondering, it, it, would this topic have been on the list a couple of years ago, or has it exacerbated to the point as certain aspects of anti-Semitism in society have that that now it's front and center? I think it's gotten worse over the years, and we're just able to talk about it and tackle it. So for that, actually, we have Sepora uh, Reich. She's uh, an attorney, and she focuses, her firm actually focuses on this. It's called the Lawfare Project. So this is their focus. And she'll speak along with Robert Davis. He's a nurse from nurse manager in a top New York hospital. Wow. So they'll tackle that issue for us. Yeah, we're familiar with Lawfare, and that's uh, the right person to have, that's for sure. Uh, Chevy Rosner is with us live via telephone, uh, who is uh, part of the conference committee, but also is the president of the uh, uh, Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association. <clears throat> Information, by the way, jewishnurses.org, jewishnurses.org. You can register for the event, and you can get all the information for the event. We should also mention, I know that uh, you do this every time for us because I'm not familiar with it, but there's certain credits, discounts, etc., cetera, uh, that both members of your organization are entitled to and that uh, as nurses who need certain accreditations and uh and and um, and courses, I guess you'd say, right, or courses of study, they're able to utilize this conference for that purpose as well. Yes, yeah, so we're accredited for nurses and nurse practitioners, and we also got requests from PAs to get accredited. So we uh, received approval for seven CME credits for the PA group. So all are welcome to attend, and we welcome everybody. There's a discount for OJNA members. It's open to both men and women. Remote access is available upon request, and the Holy Stroll breakfast and lunch will be served. After all, it is a full-day event. By the way, I am meeting uh, more and more male nurses out there, both in our community and outside the community. I'm assuming that's not a coincidence that the population continues to grow. Yes. Um, You know, they see it's a good job. It pays well. They have opportunities. It doesn't uh, require commitment to medical school, which is many years of training and money. Um, A lot. We have more male nurses now joining our crew. Um, 
A lot of them go for ICU, emergency room, nurse anesthesia, uh, management. There's many opportunities for them, and they're very happy in their roles. Yeah, I met someone who's a surgical nurse uh, here in Mm -hmm. Manhattan and enjoying the uh, job tremendously. All right, so we went through the list of topics. What can you tell us about drum therapy, and what is that, and and why is that among the uh, top topics for the conference? Uh, So we chose it. We wanted an interactive session. It's definitely hard to sit all day and listen to lectures. Um, So this is a music therapist. He's actually in school now for social work. His name is Brendan Finnegan, and he's going to be doing live drum therapy with us. We're going to have drums for everyone, and he'll teach techniques and ways to promote healing, wellness, and balance. Wow. It's going to be a really exciting one. There's so many ways, both calm and very active, to clear one's mind and relieve one of stress, I guess. And I guess guess this is one of the more active ways. Yeah. I would would assume. So he'll teach it how we can use it for our patients, but also for ourselves. Music and movement is very good. There's a lot of stress right now in the nursing field, a lot of burnout. So this is very apropos to get up and move and do, obviously, in a kosher way. Um, but it will be very fun and interactive. Have you heard from nurses? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of New York. I would assume it's in other parts of the country as well. They're dealing now with uh, with hospital mandates and city mandates, and, and some of them are wondering if they're going to have their job if they don't, in fact, get vaccinated, or you have found that most of your members, because of their knowledge uh, and their faith in the vaccine, for them it's not really an issue. So most of our members are vaccinated. For example, our registration, 99% or higher are vaccinated. We only have about two people who are not, and that's because they just had COVID. Um, So really, most of our members are very pro the vaccine and have received it. There are some who work remote, uh, like uh, in remote telehealth jobs, for example, who may not be mandated yet to get it. But anyone in a New York hospital, New Jersey hospital, is mandated, and whoever didn't receive it has already been removed from their job. Right, and uh, and it doesn't seem to have the same type of level of protest that the first responders are having in this city, and and maybe other categories no. are having. I, I guess maybe there's just more faith in the medical community in the in the vaccine, um, uh, or in general that uh, that 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 others may not be want to be told what to do with their bodies. Um, let's talk about two of the other uh, things on this list. Two of the other topics you're going to be addressing, and again, Chevy Rosers with us, president of the. Uh, Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association, information about the conference, jewishnurses.org. It's happening November the 11th, which is a Thursday from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Uh, the medical marijuana issue, is is there anything about this that's specific to our community, or this is simply a general um, a, a topic about the uh, uh, the fact that now medical marijuana is a, is a real thing and a real technique in terms of treating people? It's not specific to our community, but now that it's legal, uh, we're going to have a psychologist talk about the effects, the physical and psychological effects of marijuana. Wow. Interesting. Which is important to know. Yeah, and I would think that even some of the medical professionals, because it hasn't been so widely used, you know, need to be refreshed about that, frankly. Yes, most of us are unaware. And the long... How to prescribe it, etc. And the long COVID. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you, you know, I mean, this is something we hear constantly from people in our community, th- those who think they still have symptoms, those who were sick at the early part of 2020, and still feel that there's something wrong, something not right. What could you tell us about this from a medical standpoint? Right. Dr. Glad is going to address that. There are still people having issues, long-term issues, either respiratory-wise or, you know, still lacking sense of smell and taste, still losing weight, brain fog, etc. So he'll tackle all those and also talk about the vaccine mandates, the boosters, and obviously now that children are approved, he'll address that as well. Was- so really all, all COVID will yeah. be addressed. Were these conferences a lot easier before this pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, there's a lot of burnout now, so a lot of nurses just want to stay home and watch from the screen. But obviously the energy is in the room, so we encourage everybody to attend in person, get together, be together, and be energized and strengthened together. I mean, it's unbelievable. Half of what you're doing that day is pandemic-related, if not more, frankly. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's unbelievable what it's done to all of our lives. But uh, in the medical field, my gosh. The annual conference for Orthodox Jewish nurses is Thursday, November the 11th. We cannot um, uh, emphasize enough how important it is. We know a couple of uh, brand new young nurses in the industry, Chevy Rosner. You would encourage the young people as well, those just starting out to be at the conference, right? Absolutely. Your daughter, Chava, is on our new student committee. She's awesome. Wow, thank you. We have our meeting tonight, and they're doing really great work, and I'm so glad she's part of it. Well, we're very proud. She has an amazing mother, as I always say. Thursday, November the 11th, the annual conference for Orthodox Jewish Nurses, 8 until 5 at the J Suites Conference Center on Madison Avenue in New York City. Information, go to the website, jewishnurses.org, jewishnurses.org, and you could register for the event. And if you haven't yet joined, if you're a female or male nurse and you have not yet joined the Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association, we cannot um, recommend it highly enough. Chevy Rosner, president of the Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association, always a pleasure. I hope November the 11th is a great success. Thank you so much. More coming up. It is a Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Chevy Rosner. Rabbi Shalom Axelrod joined us recently to discuss a very important initiative by the RZA Mizrahi to help out the communities of Lud and Akko. Here's my conversation with Rabbi Shalom Axelrod on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, the last time we featured uh, an activity by Rabbi Shalom Axelrod on these airwaves, it was that amazing rally that was going on at a very sensitive time, you may recall. I guess we could refer to it as the anti-anti-Semitism rally. I guess that would be uh, uh, appropriate. And he uh, organized and galvanized the whole effort, and thousands and thousands of people came out from the five towns and beyond uh, to make a statement at a very sensitive time this past summer, you may recall. Uh, now, Rabbi Axelrod, who, of course, is the uh, Marad Asra, the rabbi at the Young Israel of Woodmere, has brought another um, another important cause to... Um, uh, to our attention, and that is the RZA, uh, Religious Zionists of America, uh, Israel Community Fund. He's on the panel that oversees the fund, and we get an opportunity to find out just how important this fund is as we try to connect as best as we can with our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. Rabbi Shalom Axelrod, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. Thank you for having me. You know, it was, like we say, it was a sensitive summer, but not just on this side of the world, in Israel as well. Uh, once we got past Pesach, all of a sudden things really escalated in terms of the uh, military operation in Gaza and the way that uh, uh, many people displayed their, I don't know, let's just say reaction. I don't want to get into their heads. Let's just say the reaction uh, to all of that. And in some cases, they went ahead into certain neighborhoods, including neighborhoods that were Jewish, some of them that were mixed neighborhoods of Jewish and Arabs in Israel, and they caused tremendous havoc. They uh, uh, they uh, rioted uh, and uh, caused tremendous damage, and the people were in a very, very difficult situation. What could you tell us about the background of what happened in Israel during those months and the fund that has been established by the RZA? Well, you know, around that time, we were dealing with the anti-Semitism here in America, and many communities, you know, stepped forward, and, and you yourself participated in the rally that we had at Cedarhurst Park. Um, but what was going on in Israel is normally previous to the, you know, in the previous engagements, 
that Israel had with Hamas, with the attacks, it was always very much externally focused. Right. Uh, the enemies were outside of Israel. And what this brought to our attention was the fact that cities such as Lod and Akko and Haifa are cities that are called Ir Mu'urevet. These are mixed cities. These are cities, they take a city of Lod, 80,000 residents, 70% are Jewish, 30% are Muslim Arab. And in these particular cities, the dynamic is very different than, let's say, Jerusalem. We're very familiar Go Jerusalem. There are Arab sections and there are Jewish sections, but it's not so mixed. In other words, the areas, the neighborhoods are distinct from each other. Right. In these mixed cities, we're talking about mixed buildings, mixed floors. And what happened was, during the Hamas attacks, is that the, the citizens, and many of them are Israeli citizens, because they're living in central Israel, they themselves went ahead and what conducted basically pogroms. In other words, they turned on their Jewish neighbors, people who had friendly relationships and cordial relationships. They basically turned on them. Uh, it was a situation where you had over, I think, like over 800 cars belonging to Jews were destroyed. 300 Jewish homes were looted. 100 Jewish homes were burned. Over 10 shuls, and that's just Lud alone. Right. So this occurred, and this was a very shocking, jarring experience, certainly for the residents of these mixed cities, for all the citizens of Israel to witness, and for Jews world over to see like a pogrom occurring in the state of Israel, in our precious Medina, was something that uh, together with some other rabbanim in our local community, Rabbi Yaakov Trump from the Young Israel Lawrence Cedarhurst, Rabbi Shmuel Ismach from the Young Israel of Great Neck, uh, we approached Rabbi Daron Perez of World Mizrahi together with Rabbi Ari Rakoff of the RZA to try and do something. And what was born, it was initially done during the three-week period, is we had a campaign uh, at the shul, which was basically, here we are, three weeks. It's all about Hurban, so let's focus on rebuilding. Right. And Baruch Shem, the youngest of Woodmere, we were able to put together a fund of over $50,000 that we spearheaded this effort. Uh, about $150,000 has been collected to date. And uh, we have a renewed effort now between Pashas Chayes Sarah and Hanukkah, to try and raise the $250,000, which is our target goal for programs that we're going to have. Uh, so this is how the Israel Community Fund was born. Uh, and uh, obviously, Lod and Akko are two of the cities, if not the two main cities, that have been targeted by the fund because that's where they most need rebuilding, right? Those would be the two be Unfortunately, those would be the two best examples of what happened in Israel this summer, right? Those are two, well, Lud, correct. Lud and Akko, there were, as we mentioned, there are others. Um, right. We obviously can't focus on all. Uh, the, the attention is, given, is being given to bolstering and strengthening these cities. If you could imagine that if people were to leave, if we would have Jews to abandon these cities, we would have basically cities within Israel proper that lose a Jewish population. We cannot, you know, the sense of the Rabbanim, with that we cannot have a situation where those Jewish communities uh, are not strengthened. And the responsibility, certainly all of us in the diaspora, if we can't be in Israel, is to certainly do whatever we can to strengthen it. And so the efforts of this particular fund 
are being focused on these two locations. We're doing different projects within those two locations. And, and, and of course, you know, I mean, everybody around the world wants to help our Israeli brethren. I think that's something that's been proven for a long, long time. But in addition to that, uh, when a synagogue is attacked, Jews around the world take that personally. And you can tell us that the Israel Community Fund, part of the Mizrahi, as you mentioned, uh, is that's one of the things they're concentrating on. If a synagogue does need financial help or help rebuilding uh, because of what happened at the hand of the enemy, uh, you're ready to step forward and give them what they need. The central synagogue in Lud uh, was attacked and needs to be strengthened. They have a plan to benefit the entire community by having this incredible center to be the center of the community. And, you know, I, I think, Nachum, it's important for us to realize we're coming up to Kristallnacht. Right. And to see images of Sifrei Torah, images of shuls burned, mm-hmm. as we commemorate, there, there's no, I'd say, more appropriate way to commemorate Kristallnacht than building up those areas that have been destroyed in Israel. Oh, there's no and, question. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so with Lud, what we're talking about is rebuilding the community and making it strong so that people not only just remain there, but even more people move there. Uh, so like in Lud, it also is involved with financing that the Garin Tarani, the the institution that has many uh, students living in the community, even married, uh, invite people to come and attend Shabbos meals. Uh, they need the financial backing to, ha- to host, for many of them, to host all these meals. Uh, in Akko, the situation is a little different. In Akko, they don't have rabbis. There are many shuls. There are no rabbanim. There are no rabbis. So we actually have already, we're working with, the, this, the fund is working with a group um, to basically bring in five rabbinic couples. They're going to act as the rabbanim within wow. the community. That is a great idea, and people can directly fund that through the Israel Community Fund? That's correct. The That's Israel amazing. Communities Fund, again, we have 115. Our target is to try and get to Hanukkah by 250. The truth right. of the matter is, if we blow 250, if we raise more than $250,000, there are more projects you know, that, that can be done, but correct. It's going specifically to strengthening these communities. Mariah um, Shalom Axelrod is with us. Information about all of this, rza.org slash Israel Community Fund. rza.org slash Israel Community Fund. These pogroms in Israel this past summer uh, have given us an opportunity to really connect with our brethren and provide funds, uh, whether it's for the um, uh, the, the, the uh, couples, whether it's for the rebuilding of synagogues, whether it's for people who are in need now because of the results of the terrible attacks uh, we have a unique opportunity. Rabbi Axelrod, you, me- you mentioned that, thank God, in your community and others, this has been doing well, and we know that there's been a recent disconnect uh, with Israel over the last couple of years because of our inability to, uh, up until this point, our inability to travel there uh, you know, easily. Um, why do you think this fund is doing well? A lot of people would think that the disconnect would cause people to be more skeptical about helping those thousands of miles away, but that has not been the case. I can only, I, I can only speak... I, from my shul, uh, in terms of the particular uh, experiences that I have. Of course, COVID, you know, hit our shul hard. It hit the community hard. It hit the entire area. However, when Israel is in need, you know, throughout the decades of work, Rabbi Herschel Bilidar, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Emeritus, 
Um, he inspired the shul to always get involved and to step up when Israel was in need, whether it was fire trucks when they were battling the fires or all different types of projects. And so when the call went out and we just sent out the email, there was an immediate response of people. And it's not only from our community, it's from many of the shuls that have engaged the Israel Communities Fund. Um, people still feel a very close bond. And maybe despite the fact that we can't, and maybe because the reason, right. because we cannot travel so easily to Israel. Um, I spoke to a shul member today. He told me, I think, he went to Israel in 2019, uh, maybe over 10 times. Today he was going for the first time in two years. Yep. It's and I think strange. it's because we feel yeah. that distance no that that's why maybe we feel a greater responsibility to get involved in projects like this to show and to demonstrate our ongoing connection and commitment to Israel. Rabbi Shalom Axelrod and I, and of course everybody at the RZA Mizrahi, uh, World Mizrahi, everybody encourages uh, everybody to participate in the Israel Community Fund. They have the uh, quarter of a million dollar goal by Hanukkah. It is certainly attainable and there's been a great reaction so far. You can read more about this and find out uh, exactly uh, how this money is being utilized by going to the website rza.org slash Israel Community Fund. Again, rza.org slash Israel Community Fund. Uh, both the flyer is there uh, for your synagogue to sign up. That ability is there and there's plenty of tabs. We could find out more and more about the fund. Rabbi Axelrod, thank you so much for joining us with this. I, I really hope that the goal is met by Hanukkah and that this continues to be a major success. Thank you so much, and thank you for creating this awareness for this very meaningful program. Much appreciated. rza.org slash Israel Community Fund. rza.org slash Israel Community Fund. Go to the site, folks. Be generous. And in addition to that, you could read more about the uh, specific initiatives that they're taking up with this fund. That's that's what's always amazing with these things, is that uh, you know there's plans for the money. <laughs> They've got good plans, and if there's more money, they have other plans because of the needs of our brothers and sisters in Israel. Again, it's rza.org/israelcommunityfund. More coming up at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Shalom Axelrod. Thanks so much for tuning in to JM Rewind. Plenty more coming up if you keep it right here at the Nachum Siegel Network.